time for the NWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle. From the Fricker Studio. On Classic Hits 96.7 WBBI. On ESPN 1430 AM. And at 105.7 FM WFOB. The Sports Huddle is brought to you by NWO Orthopedics. Frickers. Warner Automotive. By Blanchard Valley Health System. Roto-Rooter. Bigby Coffee. By Northwestern Water and Sewer District. Wilson Tire. Grit. By M.J. Brown Construction Company. Premier Bank. Campus Polyod. By Financial Design Insurance Agency. Snyder's Flooring Outlet. Ohio Automotive Supply. Seneca Millwork. Five Star Maintenance. And by the Ropey Corporation. And now. Let's go to Lance and Matt. Coming to you live from the Fricker Studio. For the NWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle. Welcome on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios on ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM. WFOB and Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you. Thank you for making us a part of your Wednesday night for this edition of the show. Matt, how are we doing? You know, I'm doing better than I was Saturday. Um, Still kind of taking the loss for Calvert a, a little hard. But, you know, it was a great season for them. Hats off to an impressive state runner-up type, state runner-up run, I should say. But, uh, no, we're doing good. We're, we're doing better. Uh, the, the sun is shining. The grass is green. Uh, the Cleveland Browns are without a starting quarterback once again. And Calvert lost the state. Actually, you know what? No, man, it's been rough. I really – we have a great show on deck for you. It's gonna help rally, but man, it's been it's been a lot of uh, a lot of rough news as of late in the sports world for Northern Ohio, Northeast Ohio, just in general. So we we got a good one on deck. That's gonna help rally me, and we're gonna we're gonna get going. It's gonna be fine. On this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, we'll of course talk with Kevin Harris, meet at midfield along with the comeback and awful announcing the Buckeyes. Got the win last week against Michigan State. This week, they take on Minnesota. We'll talk with Chris Algie, McComb, head of football coach. The Panthers got a little bit of revenge beating Lima Central Catholic, who knocked them out last season. They'll play in the regional title when they take on Patrick Henry on Friday. And we'll talk with Judd Lutz, Colombian head football coach. The Tornadoes continue to roll themselves, beating Buckeye last week. They'll play in their own regional title. They'll be taking on Toledo Central Catholic on Friday night. We'll also talk, as Matt alluded to, we'll talk the NFL. We'll talk Cleveland Browns and everything going on around the world of sports. And we might not be physically at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials. Monday, boneless frickin' chicken wings day. Tuesday, frickin' chicken wings day. Tonight, and get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day at Frickers. Pick up from the carryout window, dine in, get delivery through DoorDash. Those daily specials are all dine in only. Download the Frickers app and find them online at Frickers.com. And join us this weekend for our coverage of high school football Friday night. We'll have coverage of the Macomb Panthers as they take on Patrick Henry. Matt Common, Jimmy Nicholson will have that one for you from Napoleon High School. It'll be on Classic Hits 96.7 on Friday night. And I know that was another thing you uh, had to go through, Matt, is last week you uh, saw Patrick Henry uh, knock out Hopewell Loudon uh, in that uh, playoff game last week. And we'll see uh, see if Patrick Henry is going to keep the trend going of knocking out uh, some of our local teams when they uh, when they take on Macomb on Friday. No, like Patrick Henry. I'm kidding. That's, that's I'm, I'm kidding. No, they're they're actually a fun team to watch. I mean, what they've did against Hopewell Loudon was very impressive. I I think when you watch Patrick Henry play, you can see why. Even though they have the record that they do, 
it's really has more to do with who they played as opposed to the, their actual record, their quality as a team. They are very, very impressive. Um, it should be a good game. should be a really, really good game. I think it's going to be a great regional final. I'm not sure how much of a consolation prize it is that whoever wins it gets to go play Marion Local since Marion yeah. Local has given up seven points this entire postseason and has scored over 140 already. But it, it should make for a really, really fun game. And I'm looking forward to working with Jimmy. You know, I, it's, I get to complete my uh, color commentator set once again this year on that one. So it, it'll be fun. Should be a good game. Uh, good venue for it. Good location. Uh, Napoleon's a very nice venue. We've had some good memories there over the years. And uh, here's hoping we'll get to continue that trend with uh, most likely a pretty good game uh, Friday night with McComb and Patrick Henry. With that, we'll subside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Kevin Harris from Meet at Midfield, Awful Announcing, and the comeback here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. At Blanchard Valley Health System, we're looking for individuals to join our family of professionals. We require compassion, dedication, and the desire to make a difference in a fast-paced healthcare environment. Jobs are available in clinical and support services. We offer competitive wages and benefits. The culture of BVHS is unique and rewarding. Visit bvhealthsystem.org backslash careers to search our current openings. Blanchard Valley Health System, we're here for you. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto Owners works with independent agents who answer when you call, so you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Ask Financial Design Insurance Agency in New Regal if Auto Owners makes sense for you. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic Hits 96.7, WBV Islands Morris. Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. The Ohio State Buckeyes get the win against Michigan State. This week they take on Minnesota. You can hear Buckeye football all season long on WFOB. We're now pleased to be joined by Kevin Harris, writer from Meet at Midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing here in the Frickers Zoom room. And Kevin, similar story for the Buckeyes this week. They get the win over Michigan State, one of their uh, easier wins they've had you know, throughout this season. What were some of your uh, big takeaways from last week's game? Yeah, you know, I think this was probably the best game from Kyle McCord. <clears throat> I think that he has been, I, he's been a little inconsistent this whole year. I don't think that's a, you know, a shock to anybody who's watched these games for me to say. Um, you know, I, I think he's been, you know, about, um, he's been good enough for Ohio State, but I think Ohio State would want good, better consistency from him. And I think the the past few games, he has been um, really much better. Um you know, even even the game against Rutgers, the game against Wisconsin, like both of those games, he uh, really, you know, played fine. He had a couple small mistakes, but on, on the large like tape, he looked fine. He's looking really confident. And I think he put it all, all together against Michigan State. He had some big time throws. Um, you know, he had a ball in the back corner to Marvin Harrison Jr. It was just perfectly placed. He had a deep ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. that was also perfectly placed. He had a um, awesome touchdown pass to Cade Stover that was just like right on his his right hip that the defender had no chance like he was making good throws I think he had uh, a career high in completions and yardage so 
Um, really good game for him, especially in a half. You know, he was uh, pulled after one drive in the third quarter or maybe two drives in the third quarter. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a dominant performance. I think it was um, probably Ohio State's most complete game of the season so far. Um, you know, it's against Michigan State, which I mean, I think we talked before before last week. Michigan State is not a terribly good team by any metric, but um, still, especially the things that Kyle McCord was doing, like just the ball placement and stuff like that, like that that stuff translates regardless of the opponent. It's not like he was only hitting receivers because they were wide open or anything like that. So um, I, I think it was a great game from Kyle McCord, great game from the Ohio State offense, particularly um, the defense. I mean, the defense didn't play bad either. It's just um, we know what to expect from the Ohio State defense at this point. But yeah, it was a it was a great, great game. Yeah, that was kind of going to be the next uh, part I wanted to touch on was McCord having as good a game as he did, but doing so against, you know, a Michigan State team, especially that defense, not very good. So I guess how much do I know you kind of talked about a little bit already, but how much do you take away from what McCord did, you know, and how much all of that will translate? Because like you said, wasn't just that people were open. It was against Michigan State, but it was, oh, the pass actually was exactly where it needed to go rather than, oh, he had 50 yards between him and Harrison or whatever the case might have been. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some things at play here. I think Kyle McCord plays much, much better when he's playing confident. You know, I think that is like the the simplest solution to Kyle McCord's problems is if you can find a way to get him confident. And um, I think you saw that like he's he's a very naturally confident guy. And you saw that like when he was in that final drive against Notre Dame, like he just is um, was exuding confidence and knew he could make any throw that he needed to make. And he did. He had a couple incredible throws on that drive earlier in the game. Um, and I think like anybody who's played a sport understands the feeling when you just feel like you're better than the other team in front of you. And like, I think that's kind of where you get against some of these inferior opponents that like he exudes confidence because like, Michigan state was just bad. <laughs> like, like, I don't know how else to say it. Um, and if he can find a way to put that confidence into every game, even if he misses a couple throws early or something like that, I think that's going to be the difference for him. Um, I think he can do what he did against Michigan state game in and game out. If he approaches the game is confident is uh, he probably should be. Um, so I, I think that if anything is the difference, but like in terms of just what he was doing on the field, it is, it all translates, you know, like, I think the biggest thing for me was that the timing was right on almost everything. I think when there've been a couple cases this year, more than a couple, a lot of cases this year when it feels like he's under throwing receivers, particularly deep or, um, you know, sometimes a pass will get deflected or something almost every time. It's not because he doesn't have an, the right arm strength. It's not because he doesn't have a strong arm or a rocket arm or anything like that. He has a plenty, plenty strong arm. I promise. It's almost always timing. Um, it's almost always that he doesn't have his footwork right or um, he needs to put the ball further than he needs or closer than he needs to because you're running out of space on the back end. Like there's several, several issues and almost always it relies on timing. Um, but his timing was spot on with a lot of these routes on Saturday. And I think that's that's really what, you know, made it everything look so clean, I guess, especially on like the deep balls or the deeper passes down the field. Um, those really rely on timing a lot more than I think people tend to think that they do. I think people think that you just like find an open receiver and, you know, go through your motion and uh, throw it. But like, it really comes down to footwork and 
getting the ball out when it needs to be in um in time with your drop and things like that like there's there's a progression to these things and there's a timing element to all of these things and uh the past few weeks i think his timing has been really good i think that has been the biggest difference for him and again like that translates regardless of the opponent it's not like you need receivers to be um in the right place or wide open for your timing to be correct. So, and also credit to the offensive line too. I think the offensive line has improved radically the past, you know, four or five weeks. I think they're playing a lot better than they were at the beginning of the year. Um, honestly, in both rushing and passing, but I think that is a huge difference too, because when you are not getting pressured right off the snap, um, you can really focus on your timing and get your footwork right. And I think that's been huge for Kyle McCord. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios talking with Kevin Harris, right from me at a midfield along with the comeback and awful announcing. And I, I feel like we've uh, said it as many different ways as we really can, but defense once again playing very well. They hold Michigan State to three points. I don't know if we can possibly uh, say things a different way than we have throughout the year, but Again, it just goes to show, even if it is, you know, an inferior team like Michigan State, this defense is certainly what is going to be the difference maker in what Ohio State is able to do both, you know, in a few weeks when they take on Michigan and moving forward, because if they are able to, you know, keep every team the way they have, you know, throughout the season, it's going to be hard for teams to score enough points to beat Ohio State, regardless of the talent that might be on the other side. Oh yeah. Um, I, I think that it, that is a hundred percent the truth. Um, I think we've gotten to the point where you just know what Ohio state's defense is like, you know, like you, it's not like it's going to be a surprise. It's not like fans are going to have to hope like, Oh, I hope the defense comes to play. No, you don't have to worry about Ohio state's defense. Um, I think that's been pretty proven this season. Um, again, like on some level, there is a little bit of cause for concern, not concern, but like, it's not like the Big Ten defenses have been, or Big Ten offenses have been awesome this year. So like, there hasn't been an offense that's really going to test it the way that maybe like if they get to the college football playoff, um, like a Washington or an Oregon or uh, a team like that might test this defense. But largely, I think that like this defense is what it is, and it is very, very stout, very sound. Um, and even this week, uh, they were playing without Lathan Ransom at safety. It sounds like, I don't think they've announced this. I know they haven't announced this. I'm not sure if they will announce this. Um, it sounds like there's a chance that his season ending, which is obviously not good news for Ohio State. Um, I think Lathan Ransom has been one of their best and most solid and most important players on that defense this year. Um, so, I mean, that's obviously a huge loss, but I think what they're going to end up doing is um, rotating Sonny Styles back to his position essentially and then having Jordan Hancock play in the nickel full time for the rest of the year. Um they they did play um Josh Proctor was also out this weekend too and they played Malik Hartford which is a true who's a true freshman um and he played fine too. So they do have options at safety. Um it's just not great when one of your best and most consistent players is potentially out for the season. I by out for the season, I think that I'm I'm pretty darn sure he's not going to play against uh minnesota michigan or a big 10 championship game if they get there i don't a hundred percent i can't guarantee that he would miss um you know a potential bowl game or a potential playoff game but um i, I think he's going to be out for at least the next three weeks based on 
everything that I'm hearing in that regard. Um, but, you know, other than that, this defense has been extremely good. Um, really just like the the cornerstone of this team and what this team can just rely on week in and week out. And um, I think that is a large departure from what Ohio State fans have come to expect over the past, you know, four years or so. Now let's look ahead to this weekend's game. Ohio State takes on Minnesota. And I don't know if I can really call them truly ups and downs, but they've they've certainly been interesting uh, losing their last couple games uh, to Illinois and Purdue. So what uh, what all should we really know about this Minnesota team? Yeah, uh, that is that is rough. They got just stomped against Purdue, too. That was very bizarre. Um, all of a sudden, like this is a team that probably isn't going to make a bowl. You know, like I, they need to beat one of um, uh, Ohio State or who do they play next week? They they I mean, yeah, they play. They need to beat one of Ohio State or Wisconsin. And I mean, Wisconsin is also kind of on a downtrend, too. So um, we'll see there. But yeah, all of a sudden, this is a team that has looked very bad the past two weeks. Um, you know, they're frankly just not particularly good on either side of the ball. Um, it's a it's a fine tune-up game, another tune-up game before Michigan. Ohio State's probably not going to have to work too hard to win this game. Um, you know, I they they've got some they've got some good players. Um, Tyler Newbin, I think, is awesome in the secondary. I think that he was kind of like a preseason All-American type based on the way that he played last year. He's going to be a uh, an NFL player, but um, you know, outside of that, like it just it is it is a lower tier Big Ten team that Ohio State's going to play this week, and I don't think there's much expectation that it's going to be a close game. I think the Vegas line is like 30 or something points like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be a close game. Um, I guess it's Ohio State minus 27 and a half. It's not going to be a close game. It's going to be at home. Um, I think it's going to be very similar to the game that Ohio State just played against Michigan State. And one thing uh, you do also have on the Minnesota side is uh, just their coach in uh, P.J. Fleck, who's who's now been there for actually a little while. He's been there since 2017 at this point, uh, 49 and 32 overall. So I think you could probably say he's overachieved a little at Minnesota, just kind of given how their expectations typically have been. But at what point, uh, at what point is enough enough either for Minnesota to uh, bid, uh, bid him farewell or for PJ Fleck to, maybe try and get another job. It's almost like James Franklin, but not nearly as good yeah. and consistent as James Franklin has been at Penn state. It's kind of that similar vibe to what we've had for PJ Fleck at, uh, at Minnesota. Yeah. And PJ Fleck's gotten some pretty bad press over the years about like the way that he runs his program and like treats his players and stuff like that. So um, I don't know. I, 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 I tend to think if you remember a few years back, um, kind of before he got that job at um, at Minnesota, when he was at Western Michigan, I think there was a lot of like chatter about him being kind of like the next big thing. It was really him and Tom Herman, and they, both of them have kind of like fizzled out. Um, you know, there there were people expecting them to be like the new like hot names in college football um, a, a few years back, and that really has not been how it's shaken out. I think the the fact that we're talking about whether or not Minnesota should part ways with PJ Fleck anytime soon is like right. kind of indicative of where things have gone for him. Um, you know, in that regard, like I don't think Minnesota is going to like 
fire him. Like I, Minnesota can't do better than what he's done and what his ceiling for a team is. Cause I, I think like if he stays at Minnesota forever, you know, every four years, they're going to have like a team that is going to like, I, I mean, I don't know how it's going to shake out with Oregon and um, USC and Washington and UCLA joining the conference, but um, how it has been every, you know, four to five years, he's going to have a team that's a top 25 contend for the big 10 West sort of team. So I think like that's, that's a ceiling that Minnesota hasn't enjoyed in a long time. Um, and so just based on that, like, I don't think they're going to fire him anytime soon, but it, based on the expectations that were surrounding him as a head coach in general, like, I don't know if he's going to be content just like hanging out at Minnesota for the next 20 years and leading this program. Maybe he will, but like, I, I would be interested to see if he wouldn't want to try to like reset and go somewhere else and create something new. So that is definitely an interesting conversation. As much as he wanted to quote, create something new at Minnesota, he took row the boat from Western and just imported that into Minnesota. Yeah. So, I mean, t take that for what you will. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, it's one of those like cautionary tales too. Like, I think that he would have been better off staying at Western Kentucky. I think like, um, or sorry, Western Michigan. Uh, but I think that like what he's doing at Minnesota is just like the same thing that he was doing at Western Michigan, except the talent level elevates. And so had he just stayed at Western Michigan and been able to dominate a lesser conference, like he could have done that consistently and probably got a better job than Minnesota. So um, I don't know. It, it's kind of like one of those hindsight is 2020 things, but like, I think when you've got like a hot young coach like that, I think they need to be really, really careful about what job they take right off the bat, because like, you have to think really hard, like, is this a better job than where I was? I think, uh, I, I think he's going to be fine, but you even see that with like Luke Fickle at Wisconsin now, you know, is, is he happier at Wisconsin and is he going to be more successful at Wisconsin in the long run than he was at Cincinnati where he was like a demigod. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's just, it's a very serious and like hard conversation. You kind of see the same thing with former Ohio state defensive coordinator, Jeff Halfley at BC, who is just like, it's been, it's been horrible for him at Boston college. And I think coaches just need to think long and hard before um, jumping on some of these head coaching opportunities at places where like, like, Minnesota is a purgatory stop. Like you're never going to win at Minnesota. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, so I think like, regardless of how good of a coach you are, like just wait for the right opportunity. Um, and maybe those opportunities don't come on, come along a lot, come along often. But like, I think in some cases you're better off where you were rather than jumping. But I'm also the guy that's saying that that's not <laughs> looking at a, whatever the paycheck is for you to right. jump from a small program to a big program. So um, maybe I'm not the best to give, advice in that regard this is the nwo orthopedics sports huddle from the fricker studios classic hits 96 7 wbvi espn 1430 am 105.7 fm wfob talking with kevin harris rider from me at midfield along with the comeback and awful announcing so let's stick with uh with the coaches since uh since that's what we've been talking about um you had jimbo fisher be shown the door at texas a&m even after a big texas a&m win so just goes to show how things can change at Texas A&M. Uh, Chip Kelly also, I don't think anything's official just yet, but does look like they are looking towards uh, getting rid of Chip Kelly at UCLA. I mean, obviously A&M is one of the biggest jobs, has one of the biggest uh, booster backings, you know, across the country. And, you know, it was 
thanks in part to getting additional revenue that they were able to afford the crazy buyout that Jimbo Fisher has. And that I know that's something we've talked about over the years, but between the AM job now becoming open and UCLA now seemingly going to have a job becoming open, what can you say about, you know, the current landscape of some of these various programs across the country? Yeah, I mean it's it's a a play it's a landscape where people aren't afraid to fire their coaches. Um <laughs> even Zach Zach Arnett at uh Mississippi State, he got fired yeah. this week too without even having a full season leading the team, you know? Like it it is what it is. That's a little different of a situation because he was an interim coach that took over after uh Mike Leach's unfortunate death. So like that's that's obviously like a wild situation. It's not like they went through a coaching search and like got a candidate and that's probably why he had a little bit of a shorter leash than um anyone else but yeah i mean it's when when guys aren't performing and i think i think there is an old school of thought that was like you give guys a, a long leash and let them um let them you know figure it out or whatever but like it's getting to the point where some of these coaches um if you know it's kind of if you know you know situations like if if you're pretty sure that this guy isn't going to be um like four years down the line, isn't going to be any better than what's happening right now. You just, it's better to cut ship now. And I think that's what you're seeing with like Chip Kelly and Jimbo Fisher. Um, it, man, like both of those programs, I, I don't, I, Texas A&M's tough because they obviously have the oil money and all of the boosters. And I think that's a tough place to coach because the expectations are frankly just higher than I think is realistic given the recruiting grounds and stuff like that. Um, obviously they got some good recruits though, uh, just weren't able to compete. Um, I don't know. It's, I, I will be curious to see who they choose to hire instead. Um, I, you know, I, I've never really loved Jimbo Fisher, especially after he kind of cashed his check and, uh, went to Texas A&M. I don't think that I didn't ever really expect much success there, but at the same time, I don't know who else they're going to get. And then UCLA is a really interesting situation because like they're coming to the big 10 now. Yeah. And what's what's your move there? You know, like Chip Kelly is very much like an established like I, even if he's not like to the level that you want him to be and like leading this program to national titles, which I'm sure is like their expectation for him, um, even if he's not where you want him to be, like he's a, a solid floor. And I think like I personally, if I was an AD, would have been fine having Chip Kelly, a proven, you know, um, coach that's been to national championship games and. Um, it was like a pioneer of the spread offense and stuff like that, like a very well-respected guy. I would have liked to join a new conference with that guy for the first like two or three years or whatever, then I'm going to like just tossing some other person into the job, you know? Um, I don't know. It's it that, that was a really bizarre move to me because like, I think UCLA is a fine program. It's a fine team. And maybe their recruiting gets a boost now that they're in the big 10 and are playing a different schedule. You know, like I just, that that, that was weird to me. Um, I'm not sure what they're thinking. I don't know what the conversations are there, but I would have personally felt like Chip Kelly should have just stayed around a little bit because it's not like UCLA has been terrible. Um, they just haven't like contended for national titles. So, um, they've been recruiting well, especially in the past few years. So very, very odd move, especially when everything about your program is changing. But at the same time, maybe that's exactly the thought, like everything's changing. Let's get a fresh start with a fresh new coach too. So I don't know. That's, very interesting to me, but it's just kind of how college football is these days. I don't know how realistic it is. I hope Dion gets one of those jobs. Oh, it'd be funny. It'd be really <laughs> funny. I loved um he he posted a, a thing on Twitter 
or like a statement that was like, I'm here. My family's here. My sons are here. Like all of this, like big long list of like things that are here. And I saw, I don't even remember who it is to give quote, but they quoted it and was like, this is a really bizarre non-denial. Because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't, he, he, he has never said, no, I will not take this other job. It's right. just like, stop asking me this question. I'm here. I'm, I'm where I am. I'm trying to win. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a different version of the Lane Kiffin move over the last few years where it's like, hey, Lane, you going to take this other job? You're linked to this other job. He's like, oh, no, I don't think I am. And then <laughs> he actually ends up using it as leverage to get a pay yeah. raise. So it's all it's always it's always where there's smoke, there's fire. It seems to be in more times than not. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's switch gears, look over, uh, look up north. Obviously, the news of Jim Harbaugh came out uh, late on Friday, suspended rest of the regular season for everything that has taken place over these last few years. But that uh, that I don't think that accomplished anything they were trying to accomplish because now Michigan is the victim of the reality they've created. And I don't love exactly that it took as long as it did for the punishment to be announced. I know we talked last week. We thought Thursday was when it was going to happen and ended up happening later on Friday. But what are what are kind of your thoughts on what we've seen over now, again, the last week plus of Jim Harbaugh and Michigan now acting like the victim in this whole thing when it's, again, they were who created this problem? Yeah, I think that's the thing for me with even the timing is – people are acting like the big 10 purposely waited that late to decide that Jim Harbaugh was going to be suspended. That's not the case at all. And the issue is Michigan actually asked for extended time to respond to the big tens, um, essentially notice of disciplinary action on Jim Harbaugh. And it was granted, you know, the big 10 granted it to him because you know that Michigan would have pitched a fit if the Big Ten didn't grant them extra time. So they granted them an extra day. Michigan took the extra day. And then now they're upset that it took an extra day for the punishment to come down too. Like logically, doesn't it just make sense if you give somebody an extra day to have their there to deliver their response, it would delay the punishment by a day too. So that's just like a, a, a completely fake like notion to me too. Second, Michigan has been asking for due process this entire time and due process takes time. And so you have to know that the um, like the decision is going to take time after they respond to you. Like on some level, you you had to know what was coming and what when it was going to come. Like that it, there was a chance that it came before the like you you just have to know you were aware of this. Like this is the due process. They followed the process, and that's when the decision came. And second, Michigan was talking like. It was insane that they didn't know whether or not their coach was going to be able to coach before the game. But they did that because they're the ones that went to court and put it in that situation to like appeal the the ruling. The Big Ten made it very clear that Jim Harbaugh wasn't going to be able to coach like with plenty of time for them to adjust. It's not like they should have been going into the game time thinking like that there was a chance for Jim Harbaugh to run out of the tunnel or something like that. Like everything about this is self-inflicted from Michigan and you're right now they're just playing the victim role. And I think the good news is that nobody seems to be buying that outside of Ann Arbor. Like they're getting absolutely torched for it by pretty much everybody. Um, Paul Feinbaum called them Darth Vader, called Jim Harbaugh Darth Vader <laughs> on the air. You've got like Stephen A. Smith, like, blasting them too so like if you've got like these like just talking head personalities that 
none of them are defending Michigan. That's just kind of the bed that they've made. Um, so I don't know. It's a it's a very bizarre situation. Um, obviously, like you had Sharon Moore crying in the press conference or in the post game interview, acting like Jim Harbaugh had just passed away. <laughs> like it, everything about it. Like I think the the thing is that nobody is really buying it. Like nobody is nobody is really on Michigan's side here, but Michigan. Um, and I think it's at least kind of, I don't know, it's kind of backfired on them a little bit. I think they were, Jim Harbaugh had the America's team comment this week. And again, like no, nobody is buying that. Everybody is just kind of rolling their eyes at it and um, realizing like, this is your fault. Like you did this to yourself. So um, obviously they won the game against Penn state. I certainly have thoughts on the way that they won the game, <laughs> but um, they, they got the win and, you know, kind of survive in advance. We will see what happens in um, in the actual injunction case, the temporary restraining order um, hearing on Friday. Um, my understanding, everyone's confident in their lawyers. Like that's, that's just the reality of life. Um, when there's a court case, like everyone's lawyer is going to say that they're confident in their side and that their case is a slam dunk. And so all of the Michigan people that were saying, you know, oh, this is a slam dunk case. Like, Michigan's for sure going to get a temporary restraining order. Like maybe like, you know, like, like that might be true. I, I believe that that's what Michigan is telling you about their chances in court, but like the big tens, I can tell you, like my information has always been coming from the big 10 um, from sources in the big 10. And I can tell you that they've been confident too. And they had a legal team working on their response to this, like two weeks before Michigan even hired their lawyers. So it's not like the big 10 is like not confident in their case. And more than that, I don't think that they, well, not, I don't think they would not have given this case to Jim Harbaugh. They would not have given this punishment if they didn't think that it was going to stick in a legal battle. Like that's the reality of the situation. I know for a fact that they were considering suspending both coordinators too. And they decided not to suspend both coordinators because they felt like there was a better chance that Michigan would be able to get a, a TRO and allow both of them to, all of them to coach anyway if they suspended both coordinators too so um this is this is a well thought out move from the big 10 and it is i, well, I want to be clear an interim move too i genuinely think that a lot more punishment is going to come once the formal investigation concludes from the ncaa which is being kind of fast-tracked here and now the issue i say in quotes now, if Ohio State beats Michigan, it's going to be, oh, well, we didn't have our coach. But then naturally, if it's reversed and if Michigan wins again, it's going to be like, oh, we didn't even need Harbaugh to win. So there you go. It's it, it gives them it gives Michigan fans even more ammunition they really didn't already need. Yeah, they, it, it is. But I mean, that is what it is. And again, like, I think the thing that that. uh um, Petiti is kind of navigating the Big Ten commissioner is kind of navigating here is he doesn't actually have access to all of the evidence um, like all of the evidence against them he doesn't have ex like explicit access to it he because the NCAA has not shared all of their information and all of their evidence against Michigan in this case with the Big Ten because that would technically compromise the uh, NCAA's own investigation they they're not going to just release facts before you know, it's kind of, um, or evidence before it's like they've kind of completed their investigation. So Petiti has this awkward position of they, he has talked to the NCAA and the NCAA has let him know like broadly what kind of evidence they have. 
and kind of how condemning this evidence is, but he doesn't necessarily have it. And so he's in this awkward position of knowing just how bad this is going to look when the punishment is levied by the NCAA and the findings are released and how bad it will look if he did nothing and just like let Michigan, you know, kind of go. Um, but also not really having the explicit um, proof or all of the explicit proof to be able to do anything about it. So like, I, I, I think it's just a, a tightrope here where he has to do something because he knows what's going to come in the future. But um, this is kind of as good as he can get given what he actually has. And I think Michigan knows that too. Like I, I tend to think that Michigan and the average, maybe not the average Michigan fan, they might be thinking, the average Michigan fan might be thinking that they're just like completely innocent or whatever. But like, I think that the administration and the ADs and the coaches and stuff like that, like they've got to know that something bad's going to happen. Like pretty bad is going to happen um, once the investigation is actually concluded and they're just biding time because not once in any of their statements have they even tried to deny the allegations. They've just tried to downplay the significance and point to other people doing um, similar things too. So I, I don't think it's going to be good for Michigan in the long run. And I think it's important to keep in mind that this suspension to Jim Harbaugh is just an interim punishment and more can happen really at any time. If the big 10 uncovers more information, which is not out of the realm of possibility, um, they could move to more disciplinary action against Michigan too. Talking with Kevin Harris here from Meet on Midfield, the comeback awful announcing on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. And let's uh, let's look ahead to this coming week's games. You got a good amount of games this week. You got Georgia, Tennessee, even though Tennessee lost pretty badly last week. Uh, Utah, Arizona, Washington, Washington, or Washington versus Oregon State. Kansas, Kansas State also have a handful of other good games. In the ACC, you got North Carolina, Clemson, and Louisville against Miami. What are some of the things you're all looking forward to seeing this weekend? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fine slate. Honestly, this is very much just a uh, kind of a um, a kind of a precursor to next week's slate. I think um, you got a lot of a lot of you know anticlimactic games like Michigan's playing Maryland. You've got um, Alabama playing Chattanooga, yeah. like games like that, but. You've got um, that Utah versus Arizona game, I think, is going to be big. Um, Arizona is actually still alive in the Pac-12 title race, and they and Oregon State have a chance to just create absolute chaos <laughs> in college football um, with their next two games. Oregon State also is a big game this week. They are playing Washington, and they are actually around three-point favorites in that game. Um, it's at home. Oregon State's a really good team. In back-to-back -back weeks, Oregon State plays Washington and then Oregon. And if Oregon State wins out, they will go to the Pac-12 title game, um, you know, over Washington or Oregon. And I think that will hurt Heisman chances for, you know, Bo Nix or Michael Penix Jr. Um, if that happens. And then obviously, if Arizona wins out, if uh, based on all the tiebreakers, if Arizona wins out and beats, um, beats uh, Utah this week, and Arizona State next week. Um, based on my understanding of the tiebreakers, if Oregon State and Arizona win out and just win all their games the rest of the week, um, I, I think that they will go to the Pac-12 title game. So that will be very interesting um, if that happens and just create absolute chaos that you know might eliminate the Pac-12 from title contention. So uh, be be keep a close watch on those games against uh, Oregon, those Oregon State games, because uh, I think 
those are going to have over the next two weeks huge national title implications. Who's going to come out of the Big 12 now with how the Big 12 has been all kind of, I know Oklahoma's obviously lost another game. Texas has somehow been hanging on, but what do you, what do you see happening in the Big 12? Yeah, the Big 12 is a little weirder. Um, I think Texas is in good shape there. Um, I don't really even, I haven't paid attention to that too much. Um, I think it will end up being, man, I don't know how the tiebreaker works out. <laughs> Texas is in good shape, but Oklahoma, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State currently all have um, a four-way tie. I don't 100% remember the tiebreaker for it, but I think, I don't quote me on this, but I think Oklahoma State is kind of in the best shape there. Um, or maybe it's Oklahoma. I don't even really remember. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's a mess too. That whole situation is a mess too. Um, I think they're just hoping that some teams lose and they don't have to have a tiebreaker. Um, the ACC is a really weird one too. That com- that could come down to like a fifth tiebreaker, which is basically <laughs> just like a random analytic team rating from some website. So the tiebreakers are really weird. We're going to see if any of them come into play and there's a non-zero chance that it does. So um, could set up for a wild last couple of weeks in college football. This has been Kevin Harris from Meet at Midfield along with the comeback and awful announcing. Kevin, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us. We'll catch up next week. Sounds good. Thanks. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. We'll come back and talk with Macomb head of football coach Chris Allen here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Frickers Studios. Due to substantial growth at Morgan Advanced Materials, we're hiring and want you to join our team. If you're looking for a competitive starting wage, Morgan Advanced Materials has production operator positions starting at $19.76 an hour with the potential of up to $23.91 an hour. Join our team at Morgan Advanced Materials located in Fostoria. Call us at 419-360-9751 or head to morganadvancedmaterials.com to launch a career that strives to make this world a better place. Seneca Millwork is now hiring. They have a starting pay of $18.04 an hour with a raise to $18.31 after 90 days with a shift differential of $0.25 an hour for the third shift. Seneca Millwork offers medical, vision, dental, life insurance, and a 401k contribution. Apply online at SenecaMillwork.com or apply online through Indeed. Come work at Seneca Millwork, located at 300 Court Place in Faustoria, Seneca Millwork, part of the Ropey Holding Company family. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. The Macomb Panthers will be taking on Patrick Henry. They will be in the regional final. You can hear that Friday night on Classic, it's 96.7. We're now pleased to be joined by Macomb head football coach Chris Algie here in the Fricker's Zoom room, Coach, it has been a, a very different Macomb team over these past few weeks uh, since the postseason uh, got rolling. What have been some of the things you've uh, seen from your team uh, here since the postseason got started? Yeah, I think a couple things. Is, uh, you know, one, we're, we're finally we had some young kids in the secondary, and we, we tried moving people around at the beginning of the year. We put them back to where we, we originally had them, and I think they're just now – they've been comfortable in their spots and they're, they're able to play fast now where, where before they weren't sure of the position and we thought it would be better for the team, but you know, looking back now it wasn't. And uh, I think we're comfortable uh, with assignment football. And the other thing we're doing on defense, we're tackling where we were missing tackles in the 
middle of the year, towards the end of the year. Now we're at, you know, they may complete a pass like LCC did, but we tackled them. And that's been huge, not giving up that big play the last, you know, two, three weeks. And Coach, uh, just a quick follow-up for the game against LCC. Obviously, big win for you guys, 45-13. They did get some some things going here and there, but all, all that aside, was there a little bit of sweet revenge in that one, especially the way things played out last season, being able to have such a dominant performance and such a dominant win against the team? Yeah, like I LCC? think – yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we we had a bad taste in our mouth because we we just did not play well. We watched that film and it was it was awful. I mean, our offense was awful. Our, you know, we had penalties, we had fumbles. Uh, you know, defense didn't tackle, and it was it was just uh, it was really poor to watch. You know, as coaches and and even players, and uh, you know, so there was some revenge factor, and and we just wanted to play well, and and we were real happy with our offensive line and and being able to run the ball, but uh, even more happy with defense. You know, we didn't give up the big play. Maybe the one where, you know, Parker scrambled, you know, all over the place and threw one to their 6'6 guy. But you know what? That's two athletes making plays. And uh, we were in position, you know, to get there. They were they were just more athletic on that play. But uh, so we were really happy with our defensive performance. Talking with McComb Head Football Coach Chris Algie here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. At the end of the regular season, obviously tough loss for you guys against Liberty Benton to end the regular season. What were some of the things uh, that you did take from that game kind of moving forward that you've then since uh, been able to kind of correct and get right uh, here in the postseason? You know, same, you know, same scenario. Don't give up the big plays. Liberty Benton, we gave up. You know, four or five big plays, we'd go down and score, and then we'd give up a big play. You know, Pandora in a year, give up big plays. And, uh, you know, we, we challenge our kids. We challenge our defense. And, and you know, we talked, uh, you know, Coach Myers, myself, and Coach Dino and about, you know, hey, we have eight guys back on defense. You know, it's not like we are returning three guys from our defensive team last year. And, and I said, you know, we've been playing like we, we have, you know, three guys back on defense versus eight and uh, it's time we step it up and, and let's change it. And our goal, our kids, we met Saturday morning after Liberty and, and, you know, kids decided that they wanted to win the region. We felt like we could compete for a regional championship and um, you know, the kids bought in and, and they've been working hard. They've been improving, they've been listening. And, and uh, so that, that, that was the biggest takeaway from that Liberty game. He mentioned the defense and the tackling that has really come on strong in the postseason. And you just kind of alluded to it a little bit there, having eight returners on the defensive side. Uh, was it real? Was it just that Liberty Benton game, just having everyone kind of come together afterwards and really establish that? Or what, what have you seen as well defensively that has changed that tone and ch- changed the mindset around tackling in particular for you guys here in this postseason? I mean, we, we tackle all year long. I mean, we do. We really emphasize that. And we don't tackle bodies because we don't have enough bodies to tackle. But, uh, you know, we would do tackling drills every week. I mean, really up until week, uh, you know, 10, 11, we're still tackling on Tuesdays and doing drills. And, and I think the biggest thing was, you know, we, we were tr- trying to tackle too high on guys early on the year. And we really emphasize, you know, shins. You know, we're not – big thick kids especially our secondary kids we got to tackle them low and and hold on and wrap and and uh you know really wrap and alligator tackle is what we call it and, and uh we've been doing a good job of that and emphasizing it all the time to our kids and 
and, and then just getting our kids in the position where they can play the best. And like I said, we, we moved people around beginning of the year that we thought it'd make our team better. We found out weren't better. And we, we put guys back in the original spots that they played last year, and we've been playing a lot better ever since. They feel comfortable. Talking with McComed football coach Chris Salji here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB. Looking again at last week, Brad Meal's a big part of the success on both sides of the ball. First, what allowed him to, you know, kind of break out and have such a successful game? And then second part, how in the heck did he get the nickname Kitty? Yeah, I don't know if it's long hair, uh, his nickname Kitty. Uh, you know, we give nicknames to everybody. And we just, I don't know, sort of stuck with them. And, and uh, who knows? I have some <laughs> things better left, you know, untold. But uh, that, that was his nickname. We cut him loose. Uh, Coach Meyer sent him on you know, some blitzes and he has all year, but uh, really we weren't going in the game. We were not playing on blitzing a lot. Uh, LCC and coach Myers did a great job of calling him and picking out what he saw. And, and, you know, we got hits on, uh, you know, Carson Parker and he has not really been hit all year with the exception of maybe uh, Columbus Bishop Hartley, a division four school. And we were able to track him down and, and, uh, and then offensively, you know, they were really keen on Braxton. And we were trying to, you know, they were putting heavy, heavy side away from Braxton where we run it to. And so we were running with Brad and, and he did a good job running the ball, but uh, just an outstanding job on defense by him. Oh, well, I'll start by saying I will never want to know then what the nickname for either Lance or myself happens to be, <laughs> if that ever comes to a discussion point yeah. over there at Macomb. But um, speak, speaking of the blitz, I mean, that's something historically that you guys have done so well over the years. I, I think back to that state title run and my God, there are some times where the linebackers were timing it up perfectly play yeah. in and play out with the snap count. Do you feel that's something that this upcoming game against Patrick Henry, that that might be making a return appearance based on the success you guys had against LCC blitzing, or are you going to kind of see what type of offense Patrick Henry is going to come out with against you guys before you start making that call? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to blitz Patrick Henry. They do, you know, Bill does such a good job of, uh, you know, he usually keeps six guys, sometimes seven guys into protect. He does not want his QBs getting, uh, you know, hit. And, and sometimes it's tough because their linemen do such a good job and of, of uh, picking up blitzes and people or they keep their H back or they keep their tight ends in. And sometimes they keep both running backs in to block and they may send out two or three. So it just depends on what formation you know, what formations they're in, whether it allows us to bring someone or not, or bring, you know, bring Brad or bring another linebacker, but uh, it just pretty much formation based is what we're looking at. Talking with McComb head football coach, Chris Salji here on the NWO orthopedics sports huddle from the Fricker studios. We, we've talked about, you know, the changes you made defensively and how those have kind of been, you know, some of the big keys over the postseason, but offensively it seems to just kind of pick up right where uh, right where things were left off and you know lots of scoring over these first three playoff games so I know you talked about kind of the transition for the defense but as far as the offense what's kind of been the secret sauce if you will to uh, what you guys have been able to do on that side you know biggest thing is our line I mean our experience line and you know last year LCC game we we were full juniors we had all juniors and sophomores on the line this year we were seniors they were they were younger on the line last year. They had older, they had seniors on their line. So that's, 
that's the biggest difference. And, you know, when you get in straight T and, and get five, six yards of pop or four yards, or, you know, three yards, and then uh, run it. it makes it simple for me as a coach to call plays. Um, and our line just did a tremendous job opening holes and our, 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 we felt our backs blocked really well. You know, we didn't throw one pass, which I don't think that's ever happened, you know, with, with me coaching at all. I mean, we used to throw it 40 times a game back in 2000, but you know what? Our, our kids do what we do well and we don't do a lot of things, uh, but uh, the kids blocked really well and we were able to keep you know, their offense off the field. And that was very important to us. And speaking of that, Coach, it, it's something I've noticed this postseason, not just your guys' play, but in general, it really seems to be a lot more teams emphasizing that clock management aspect of it. So maybe may for people back at home that aren't too keen or too familiar with what that actually entails, where do you have the, in terms of value for clock management, being able to have that ground and pound just wear down teams and keep that time on the clock running. But where, oh, where is that value for you? Oh, it's, it's huge. I mean, I, I picked that up from Bill Banning, you know, who coached before me. And then I saw it with Pete Bruno when he was hard Northern. And I was, you know, we were playing uh, Pete at our place and we were a spread offense and we had the ball four plays in the whole first quarter. And I was so frustrated as coach and he kept getting three yards four yards, three and a half yards, first down, and he was just taking his time. And I was just, you know, chomping at the bit to get our get a chance to ball. And, and it really demoralizes the team if you're able to do that, you know. And, and I've had it done to me, so I know what it does. And and plus, you know, it's it, kids, are, they're getting hit every play. You're running the ball, and you're blocking people and sending people at DBs and, and – you know, when they're used to just covering people and they've got to come up and tackle. And I think uh, the physicality of it, especially when you get to the third and fourth quarter, uh, it just wears on on teams. Like I said, we've had it done to us before, and it's it's tough if you can't stop a team, you know. Um, but uh, that's sort of – it's, it's a huge value. You know, we almost screwed up there at the end. I didn't call timeout. We had about cost us. I thought we could get a, you know, play in before we called timeout right before the half. But uh, – you know, it was good clock management, uh, kick a field goal, and that was huge for us right before the half. And looking ahead now to Friday night, guys, of course, take on Patrick Henry. What have been some of the things you've uh, seen from them on film and getting ready for Friday? You know, defensively, they're they're big, and, and they've got a, a kid, I believe his name's Grant Smith. He's, he's about 6'3", 205, and uh, he's, he's just an animal. He's... Um, 21 sacks, I think, now in the year. They play him at DN, D-tackle. They move him around, and he just has a motor nonstop. Um, and he's around the ball wherever it is, downfield. You know, even at Liberty Center, he's making tackles 30 yards downfield. So, And they've got a really fast, you know, bigger, quicker nose guard, about 205, but he's quick. And I just feel their D-line's good. They've got good secondary. Um you know, LCC was big on defense. They weren't real fast. Their D-line wasn't fast. These guys are quick, and they move. They slant an angle. So that, that prevents it or, uh, you know, presents a challenge for a line. And then, uh, you know, offensively, they moved the creaker to the quarterback, and now they're more of a dual-threat team before with Myers, quarterback. So he got hurt. They were pretty much throwing it almost every down and running a little bit. Now they're pretty much 50-50, and the Krieger kid can run it. I mean, he's 6'3", 185. And um, you know, he's, he doesn't throw as good as Carson Parker. 
he could still throw it, but uh, the thing that he hurts you with is his leg. And, Coach, mentioning Patrick Henry, I mean, you mentioned Krieger already in the game that we saw him play last Friday night against Hopewell Loudon, quite impressive. Uh, you did also allude to a little bit the fact that this is a very different Patrick Henry team than we've seen in years past. From your perspective, how do you go about adjusting the game plan for that kind of team when historically Patrick Henry's been a run it 50 times a game and hope for the best, and now they can run, they can pass, they can kind of do a little bit of everything. It makes them seem a lot more dynamic than they have been in years past. Yeah, they're definitely, especially with Krieger at quarterback now, and, and they do have a good running back also, so you just can't key on Krieger. They run a lot of, uh, you know, counters and, and power, uh, you know, power at you, counters at you, and leads at you. Uh, and then, again, they, they spread you out, and they've got two, uh, the one Smith kid's uh, a real good receiver. He's about six foot three, and they also have, uh, uh, I think it's Landon Johnson, who he's shorter, but he's quick, and he's got about six, seven hundred yards receiving. So they like to throw it out on quick things, and you know our defense is just going to have to be ready, and we're going to have to tackle. I mean that's big. We're going to have to tackle, get hats to the ball because Krieger usually he's always going forward. Uh, same way with uh, you know last week. Uh, Carson Park was a guy that, uh, you know, at least we were able to contain him and tackle him this year. And so we're going to have to do the same thing with Patrick Henry, get a lot of hats to the ball. Talking with the Pagoma Head football coach Chris Algie on the NWO Orthopedics. Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but their head coach, uh, Bill Inselman, he, he's one of those guys, see, seems like he's been around forever. He's been, you know, one of those guys that's just synonymous with their program. Uh, how do you kind of com- compare and contrast uh, what you guys have done, you know, over these last few years, because you two are pretty much the top of the top of the pyramid, so to speak, in terms of, you know, the teams that have been consistently coming out of this region. Yeah, that and age, I guess, maybe age, <laughs> <laughs> the older of it. But uh, I think Bill, Bill, similar to me, I think he he's good at taking what he has and his kids and adapting. Uh, you know, you always want to run what you run, but. I think he's been good with uh, adapting an offense to fit his kids versus just making his kids run his offense no matter what he has. And I think at Macomb, we've been really good with our coaches uh, being able to do with that with the kids we have, you know. And like I said, in 2001, 2012 or 10, we were we were throwing it every down and maybe running three times a game. And, and uh, you know, our kids have bought into what we do and, and we've been successful. Um, you know, we get a chance to play for a regional championship. So uh, I think Bill's the same way. Oh, well, Coach, it's not age. It's experience. That That's, yeah, that, experience. that's the way I would spin it for you. <laughs> Certainly not age. It's experience. Yeah. And, you know, my gray hair would, My gray hair would big, or make a difference <laughs> on that one. So. Oh, good. Now you guys are going to be, a, once again, postseason goes to neutral sites. You guys are going to have a bit of a big venue and a little bit of a um, frequent flyer venue in Napoleon High yeah. School. What, what can you tell us about that venue? Um, kind of feels like at this stage it's approaching an unofficial home away from home for you guys once you get into postseason play. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. You know, we were down in Allen East. Uh, we weren't sure where we were going to be last week. Uh, you know, Napoleon, hey, we played at Defiance in 18, and, and that was up that way. And, and our kids are excited to play. We're the away team, and, and – uh, 
you know, our kids don't care where we we're playing. We're just happy to have an opportunity to play and, and, uh, you know, to, to play high school football. When you think about it, you know, in 18, we were playing for the state final four right now. I mean, now it's, you know, we're on week four. It's just a regional championship, 16 games. It's to, to, to win it. You got to play 16 games. It's just, it's incredible that you have to play that many games, you know, in high school football, but, uh, so far we're healthy. Um, you know, that's the biggest thing. And like I said, we're, we're excited to go to Napoleon and uh, get a chance to play Patrick Henry up there. And then lastly, what's the uh, message to the team and the fans as they uh, get ready for Friday? You know, never count the Panthers out. I mean, uh, you know, our kids are going to play hard. Uh, you know, they're playing not only for themselves, but their team. Uh, you know, we talked about playing for our conference, the BBC, representing the BBC with pride and, and – uh, but also playing for each other. I mean, you know, you, you play for your team, your your community, but, uh, you know, kids have been busting, but just, I'm sure just like Patrick Henry has been, you know, since last winter and, and it makes getting up at 530 in the morning uh, during school and lifting weights in the off season uh, makes it worth it. And uh, we're just excited for them. And, and, you know, like I said, never count the Panthers out. This has been Macomb head football coach Chris Algie. Coach, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us. Good luck on Friday against Patrick Henry. Hey, appreciate it. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Tiffin Columbian head football coach Judd Lutz here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. It's cash for cars at Warner Economy Corner in Findlay. Not much has changed with the shortage of good quality used cars, but Warner Economy Corner is looking to buy. At the corner of Blanchard and Blanchard, Warner Economy Corner is paying cash for cars. Bring your vehicle down to the guys at Warner Economy Corner and go home with cash in hand. Warner Economy Corner is buying cars and making deals. Open daily Monday through Friday. The Northwestern Water and Sewer District now has two watersheds in Fostoria to get pure water at a low price. Watersheds are located off of Plaza Drive on the north end of town and our newest location near 4th and Finley Streets. If you don't like the taste of well water, try watershed water. Just bring your own containers and fill up for a quarter a gallon. Try watershed water today. For all locations, go to nwwsd.org. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios. ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM WFOB. Classic it's 96.7 WBVI Lance Morris Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. This Friday night, Tiffin Columbian will be playing for a regional title. They'll be taking on Toledo Central Catholic at Clyde High School for the chance to advance to the state final four. We're now pleased to be joined by Tiffin Columbian head football coach Judd Lutz here in the Frickers Zoom room. And coach, it sure looks like your team has uh, kind of hit a different gear once the uh, postseason got started. What have been some of the big things you've uh, saw from your team over these last few weeks? Um, you know, we felt like we played pretty good football, obviously, during, during the regular season, played a really um, tough schedule, you know, a, t- a tremendously challenging schedule week in and week out with non-conference matchups and then conference matchups. And uh, you do that for a number of reasons, sometimes by default, meaning you literally can't find anybody else to play. Uh, and then sometimes you do so because you obviously want to challenge your team and, um, you know, see what they're made of. And we don't, you know, schedule to go 10-0. and We schedule to try to be the best version of ourselves. And so felt like we were prepared for a postseason run because of those challenges during the year. And so, Kids have done a great job, um, you know, developing throughout the year. 
um, being moved around, switched around, maybe different roles, personnel groupings or whatever. And, um, you know, I've executed at a high level here the last several weeks to, uh, you know, allow us to continue to win in advance. And coach, just looking back at that schedule, I mean, so, some of the teams you played, your only two losses of the season came against teams that are combined 24 and one at this point. I mean, that's, there's n- nothing short of r- remarkable. If I'm seeing that correctly, I'm sure the stat might be a little bit incorrect there. It might be third. 26 and one, but either way, looking at that, seeing what your team has done now in the postseason as well. Uh, you, you mentioned that just as the season got on, people really had to kind of step in, do their thing. Anything in particular, any of those games that really in particular stand out where you saw, like, hey, you know what? Not only is this team good, we we might actually make a pretty deep run here. Did you kind of have that expectation from the start of the season? Um, you know, yeah. You you want to pass the eye test, and you know you're looking, you know, in the off season when planning purposes and, and your personnel and who you have coming back and anticipated, you know, players at certain positions. And so clear back then, you know, there was definitely optimism um, with certain pieces and really good players who have had experience and been successful, and others that we felt like were going to break out and have really good years. Um, and so obviously you get through the course of preseason and, and, uh, and camp and, um, you're trying to refine those things and and then you get a couple early wins under your belt over good teams. Um, you know, that can give you some confidence for sure. And we were executing at a high level against good teams, but we were also, you know, needing to address things and fix things too. And so, um, you know, every week was a challenge, different combinations for different teams. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, I'd be. Uh, remiss to say that we didn't anticipate having a good team or think that we had a good chance at having a good team. Um, but the kids obviously go out, need to go out and perform and do that. And, and that's exactly what they're doing thus far. And yeah, you know, our uh, we've played three teams that are in, in, still playing right now, three teams that have made their regional final regional finals. So, um, and then obviously a team this week, so that'd be, that'll make four. And um, we've had success against those teams and, and um, done some good things. So we feel like we're battle tested. Talking with Tim Colombian head football coach Judd Lutz here in the Frickers Zoom room on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers studios. You talk about the tough schedule and, you know, the different teams that you had uh, had to, of course, face. And one of those was at the regular end of the regular season when you guys take on Perkins. Obviously, Perkins has had their own success, as we've already been alluding to. They're still playing this week as well. What were some of the things uh, specifically from that game uh, that you guys came out on the losing side of? What were some of those things that you then take to use in the postseason, you know, kind of help spring things moving forward? Um, you know, yeah, you know, kind of probably started clear back in, in week two. We faced a really good Chardon team who's still playing and then in their regional finals and in, in division three. Um, you know, we executed a high level on offense, throwing the football, but um they really packed the box to take away our run. And so, you know, that gave us some evidence that we had the ability to throw it if needed. Um, and we felt like we probably could, but that kind of just stamped that. Um, and then throughout the course of the season, developed the running game. And we anticipated being really good in the ground. And Damian Brockington, the offensive line, had done a great job rushing for over 2,000 yards. Um, so, you know, we felt like we could do that, and it's proven to be true. And, yeah, you know, kind of fast forward to Week 10 matchup um, against – we weren't learned a lot in a loss against uh, Bishop Watterson, who's also in their regional final Division Three. Uh, learned things going on the road there, uh, traveling to a tough place to play. And, um, you know, they didn't – lose a game until their week 10 matchup. 
um, in their conference. And, and then we, we get to our week 10 matchup with Perkins and tried some things, you know, they were, they're really, really good and have a tremendously good personnel and they started hot and we, um, you know, sputtered in the beginning of things and then got hot. But at the same point, we're playing catch up a little bit. So the score got away from us. And I told the players that, you know, we could have done things to keep it close and and maybe win, but we tried to go, you know, we try to win the game. And if that means getting blown out on the scoreboard, then, then so be it. But I would do that a hundred out of a hundred times to have that at least chance to win a couple, as opposed to just trying to keep it close and probably losing, um, you know, by a handful of points. So, um, no matter the outcome of that game, you know, the message going into it was that we were going to have to flush it really quickly to get ready for the playoffs, whether we won a, you know, a close game or whatever or lost. And so I think the kids did a really good job of that. You have a bitter, bitter, bitter loss week 10, don't win your conference, but you got to turn the page really quickly, uh, to postseason play and, and make it a run. And I think our, our kids have done exactly that. They certainly seem to have done that. And speaking of run a beautiful segue, I might add, as you, uh, mentioned the season that you've been getting from your running game in particular led by Damian Brockington uh what what can you just tell us about what you've seen on the ground this year I mean it's Tim, Tim Columbian always been a good ground game this year it seems like it's been kicked up to about 57 on the one to 10 scale I mean it's just it's been impressive yeah you know I think you know when it comes to offseason planning we feel like in our division division three right now um and in a high school football team, you have to have the ability to run it and stop the run uh, against good teams. And and that obviously means in postseason play. And that's just because of, I think, who good teams are around here. Um, I think that's who our good teams are around the state for the most part. And then weather, too. You know, we've been tremendously blessed so far to have some really great weather. But we feel like um, the stats over and over show that you have to have the ability to run it and stop it to have uh, success. And so uh, we put a tremendous amount of work in doing that in the offseason, during the season. And and obviously we have some special players on that side of the ball doing that right now with a really, really good offensive line tight end group. And then a, a tremendous running back who was first team All-State kid last year. Um, if he's not first team All-State this year, we have problems. Um, <laughs> but So he should be. And, and he's an outstanding athlete, outstanding running back, outstanding young man who's going to play uh, scholarship football somewhere and and they're going to have a good one. He's he's just a great young man. Can't say enough positive things about Damian Brockington and and is reaping all the benefits of some really hard work, obviously, with his accolades so far and, and more to come. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios Classic. It's 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB. Lance Morris, Matt Common, talking with Tim and Columbian head football coach Judd Lutzen. I know we've talked, you know, back and forth about the defense and something that has has needed to be improved, especially kind of in the earlier parts of the season. But defense uh, certainly showed up a big way last week in uh, getting the shutout against Buckeye. So what have been kind of the things you've uh, seen from the defense that have allowed them to progress to the point they are now? Yeah, um, you know, tweaking Turk, tweaking personnel a little bit. I think every week you look at, you know, personnel matchups and try to put your players at a position to be um, successful. Um, and, you know, maybe early in the season, you're more willing to try some things and see how it looks and play more guys and, uh, and that sort of thing. But we've kind of gelled into kind of our personnel, uh, against certain groups that we like more than others. Um, and that's kind of surfaced the last couple of weeks, as far as the D line goes, linebacking group and in the secondary, a lot of similar players, but just used differently and, and built, you know, trying to weigh into and 
lean into their strengths and not their weaknesses, asking them to do too much. Um, and players are, you know, playing at a high level, tackling really well in space, tackling at the point of attack, getting off blocks um, and making plays when they're there to make. And so, yeah, last week I thought was a, a great challenge against a really good rushing team. Um, and, and the kids performed at a really high level, got off the field and money down, third down, fourth downs, a uh, handful of times, which you have to do if you want to win games. And so um, that was great. And that was nice. Uh, but none of it matters now. Uh, we got to, you know, get back to the drawing board and do it all over again against a really good team this week. Uh, looking at your team as well, one of the places that it clearly is strength, and I, I can attest, remember seeing him uh, one of the last times you guys were in this position with a uh, quarterback, Brayden Rogo, and just what he's meant to this program over the last few years. Can, can you talk us through what you've seen from him? And I'm, obviously we can throw Bryce in there as well. They, they, they do tend to go hand in hand for between each other, but uh, just about the Rogos in general, what, what can you say about their off-season development, their leadership that you're seeing from them as seniors and what they bring to the table, especially here in the postseason? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Braden has put in a ton of work to put himself in this position. Um, you know, he's a multi-sport athlete who has always played football, basketball, baseball. Last spring kind of made the really tough choice to not play baseball, not because he doesn't love it, not because he, you know, he's always played with his brother um, and, a, and a great great class of teammates, but he just really wanted to get in the weight room, uh, you know, build, build some muscle, get bigger, uh, be able to focus on some quarterback development stuff in different ways and, and be seen. And, and he did that. And, um, you know, sometimes kids all say they want to just, you know, focus in the weight room and then they're kind of sporadic and it's kind of an excuse to maybe not do something that was not with him at all. You know, he he absolutely he was there every day. Uh, he was working out and he saw the gains, you know, put on about 15 to 20 pounds of of really good weight, got quicker, got faster and, and definitely, you know, refined those skills that he already really has. Um, and, and then leadership ability obviously escalated as well with some of that and being in front of his teammates and, and throughout the course of the offseason. And Bryce, um, you know, Bryce has done a great job um, developing his body and, and football, you know, awareness and football knowledge. You know, we use him a lot of different ways on offense. You know, he's a, a really, really good, outstanding wide receiver. Uh, we motion and put him in the slot. We motion and bring him in as like a tight end and block him and block at the point of attack and block at the second level. Um, you know, he's a very, very versatile football player that we love having because he's so skilled uh, with his ball skills and um, catching ability and vertical ability as far as speed goes, but also being able to block at the point of attack is pretty special. Um, and then, you know, Braden would tell you as, as far as the quarterback goes, you know, he's pretty blessed to have, you know, an all-state running back on a tremendous offensive line and then three wide receivers that in my opinion are all three all-state wide receivers. They're all three approaching a thousand yards Think I'm pretty sure they're all at least in the 800s. I think two of them are at 900 some, um, and all all are special. And um, on any given year, would be the guy and easily the number one guy on any other year. But they're all together, which is awesome for us. Um, that we we get to have all three and are spreading it around. And everyone's gone. Everyone's had a game. All three of them, I think, have gone for over 100, 150 in a particular game. And so, um, just tremendously blessed to to have the quarterback, running back. Uh, offensive line and receiving core we got in the offensive side of the ball.
Talk with Tim and Columbian head football coach Judd Lutz here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. And we had mentioned, you know, the different runs you guys uh, had a few years ago. How much does, you know, having that experience, even if it was, you know, just a few years ago, how much does that kind of help uh, getting ready for a stage regional final against a team that's obviously been there before as well in Central Catholic? How much does kind of having some of that prior uh, lead up uh, help you get a, get things ready for this week? Um, yeah, I think any experience, you know, good or bad, um, is valuable as long as you learn from it. And, um, yeah, you know, we've been accustomed to some, you know, playoff runs and, um, and making the playoffs. And so there's, I believe there also is something to be said about an expectation to be here. You know, there's belief is a very, very strong thing, uh, for human beings. And so when they believe they are to do something in their core, um, you know, it's just really hard to resist that. And so when you feel like, you know, you're out of your element and don't belong and don't believe you're going to have a tough time overcoming that. But if you do, um, it's a whole heck of a lot easier. So I think our kids honestly just believe they belong here, believe they, you know, we're meant to be here um, and and have that core belief. And so we, we lean into that and the coaches feel the same way. We kind of, we're not looking for playoff stipends or playoff anything too often, you know, we're blessed. To, that's the expectation. And uh, we try to be reflective and celebrate for sure, because it is worth celebrating. Anybody else would be, you know, ecstatic to be in this position. But at the same point, we kind of just nod our head and we're like, yeah, we, we're meant to be here. We're supposed to be here. So um, that's definitely a strength, too. And it seems like your team's starting to believe that or already invested in that pretty heavily, that belief of belonging here as your postseason has gotten exponentially better as this has gone on. I mean, you guys started obviously with the win against Ashland, then a pretty good back and forth against Ontario. But but really the one that stands out to me was last week's game against Buckeye, shutting them out 35 nothing. Uh, anything in particular from that game that you really felt not already that you're already in a postseason kind of like, hey, we're really coming on strong. But anything from that game really stand out where it's like, hey, not only are we good, we're making a run. We We might be the team to beat around here. Um, I thought I thought our ability on defense to uh, control the line of scrimmage um, and, and tackle was really, really um, evident. And uh, they, you know, meaning Medina Buckeye did a really good job of not giving up the explosive run. You know, we've been very accustomed to, um, you know, having success on the ground, having success on the ground. And then at some point. You know, Damian gets loose because he's just so elusive, so fast, and our offensive line so good that at some point there's a crease there and he breaks one off. And they did a really good job just not allowing that to happen. Um, and it's just, you know, we, we've done that for so long now um, that we were so accustomed to seeing it. And they made us drive the ball down the field consistently over and over. And uh, I thought our offense did a tremendous job of doing that, not getting greedy, um, not trying to do too much. Um, and even though we lacked a little bit of explosiveness, but we were explosive in the past game for sure. Um, but just not getting it on the ground, but still driving out and getting points over and over and over and controlling the line of scrimmage, I thought was really impressive and um, obviously noteworthy and um, encouraging, obviously, for, uh, for uh, you know, the next couple of weeks, hopefully. And now looking ahead to Friday night, you guys take on Central Catholic. A team has been very dominant in their own right throughout this season. So what are some of the big things you've seen from them in uh, getting ready for Friday? Yeah, they're uh, they're an outstanding accumulation of talent. There's no doubt about that. You put on the tape and they're huge up front. 
they have some outstanding running backs, a, a quarterback who's been very accurate with the ball and um, is very mobile in his own right. And then, you know, playmakers in the perimeter. And then defensively, again, huge up front, very physical um, at the linebacking core and very fast in the secondary. And, um, you know, they can play kind of soft and keep the ball in front of them, but they also want to get up in you and pressure you at times um, as well on defense. And so there's a reason there, you know, Division II state champs last year um, and predicted to win our division this year. And a lot of people talked, you know, when they were put in our region and how, the, uh, you know, about this possible matchup. And uh, I was very dismissive about it because there's other teams, obviously, we'd probably have to win and, and find a way to beat in order to create this matchup. And um, we've been really lucky to do that. And so uh, we're excited for the opportunity. Um, but at the same point, expect to be here. And so um, they haven't played us. That's kind of the message. They haven't played us yet. And um, uh, we're excited for that. When you look at a team like Central Catholic as well, and I mean, Co Coach definitely took my uh, what's the message going to be questions. They, they haven't played us. I love that message. 14. When you look at a team like Central Catholic, is this one of those situations where the game plan already kind of formulated or is with the type of team that they are, is it just going to be a go in and what they're going to give us, we're going to be able to capitalize and execute on that? Yeah, I think um, you kind of uh, kind of take bits and pieces throughout the course of your um, season and, and try to make same as same as adjustments. So, for example, you know, when they pressure and play some man to man stuff, um, that's similar to what Chardon did on defense. And so, OK, what do we like against them? Maybe do we still like it or not? Um, and we've had success against that, guys. So it's kind of like, you know, build into, hey, if they do this, we've had success against it already. Um, we're going to do this. You know, their quarterback um, is a very mobile kid, big kid, athletic, fast. You know, we we saw that Ontario had an outstanding quarterback uh, who was very mobile, accurate with the ball. So it's like, OK, what do we kind of do or try to do against him? Was it successful or not? Let's lean into those things um, just kind of down the list. And so was the you know, is the game plan already made? No, because we didn't know we were playing them until, you know, Saturday morning slash Friday night. Um, so at, you know, at that instant, yeah, you start putting a game plan together and hopefully you've done enough things. And like I said, you know, to play a challenging schedule and, um, that requires you to make those game plan and adjustments throughout the course of the season and what works and what doesn't, I think allows you to have that game plan a little bit more ready to go, um, leading into that week, as opposed to not being challenged throughout the course of the season and trying to do a bunch of st stuff, you know, that's brand new. So, um, yeah, you know, the message for the team also, they're a high school football team. You know, they, they've got tremendous talent over there that's probably going to play in a lot of collegiate football games and commitments at a high stage, uh, but they're not at Ohio State yet or wherever they're going. So they're they're a high school football team, and uh, there's really nothing more than that. Talk with Columbian head football coach Judd Lutz here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. And once again this week, you guys have a familiar place you're going to in Clyde. You know, same thing last week. I believe you were at Belle Bellevue a week ago. So both places you've been over these last few years just because they're both uh, conference teams. So uh, does that have any uh, role in where you're getting uh, getting ready to go to? Because obviously it's a place you've been before. It's not like you're going to a neutral site that's completely unfamiliar to you guys. Yeah, um, I think, yeah, that's it's nice and that there's some familiarity there as far as the layout, where stuff is. Um, you don't have to, like, just land like you're landing at a new 
new new airport and you got to figure out everything on the fly you know very familiar with the setting or the backdrop of places where restrooms are where locker rooms are for the most part and and what's it what's it what it's going to look like what you need to bring what you don't need to bring um so that's always kind of nice uh from uh the anxiety or stress level having those answers and, and not having such a longer list of questions but um obviously they're familiar with the play i think they were just there last week for their for their game so they're going to be familiar with the settings in sight as well so i don't think it's an advantage for anybody um but obviously kind of just nice i think for uh, both teams this has been colombian head football coach judd lutz coach thank you once again for taking the time to talk to us and good luck on friday against central catholic appreciate it guys thank you with that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk some NFL action here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Hi, this is Dawn from the Classic Hits Morning Show, and I've just heard that not all roofs are created equal. Is that true? That is true, Don. It's solely dependent on the people installing it. Hi, folks. This is Matt from MJ Brown Roofing Construction Company in Tiffin, Ohio. We're a family-owned company that's been in business since 1936. We're a full-service roofing contractor that have been working on both residential and commercial roofs. So no matter what type of roof you want, we have the expertise and the crews needed to to install and maintain your roof for years to come. Call 419-447-5864 for a free, no obligation inspection and quote today. For over 100 years, iron workers have been building America. Do you have what it takes to be an iron worker? Do you like to work with your hands? Do you like to be creative and solve problems? Do you like to be outdoors and don't mind getting dirty? With starting pay of $18 an hour and with medical and retirement benefits, there are iron worker jobs available in Northwest Ohio. To take your career to new heights, call the Iron Workers Local 55 Training Center at 419-382-3080 and build a better future. Back we are on this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Classic 96.7 WBVI, Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you once again this Wednesday night. Big thanks to Kevin Harris from Meet at Midfield along with the comeback and awful announcing. Chris Salji, McComb head football coach and Colombian head football coach Judd Lutz for all joining us tonight. On the show, if you missed any part of our show or just want to hear it again, head over to WFB.com, click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons as well. We might not be physically at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials. Monday, boneless frickin' chicken wings day. Tuesday, frickin' chicken wings day. Tonight, get their sirloin steak dinner. Thursday, their frickin' chicken chunks. Kids eat free all day, every day at Frickers. Pick up from the carry-on window, dine-in, or get delivery through DoorDash. Download the Frickers app to see more and to place an order, find them online at Frickers.com. Matt, let's take a look at the NFL. And as we uh, as we learned this morning, uh, Deshaun Watson going to be out the rest of the season. He'll be getting soldier soldier surgery. So what's uh, what is that going to do now to the Browns' chances this year? Because it's not like Watson has been the key to things for this team this year, but obviously there's a lot of money wrapped up in him for their for the future. Lots of picks were invested in Watson as well. So at least as far as this season, what does this do for uh, what their outlook is uh, is now? No, I mean, it certainly doesn't help. I mean, if you're talking about this season, the facts remain that Deshaun Watson was 4-1 and one as a starter. Um, anyone who likes to throw that stat at you to try and defend the Cleveland Browns' decision to make the trade and the excessive contract extension for Deshaun Watson – Using that as justification is like me saying, well, the moon was full yesterday, so therefore it's made of cheese. It just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, because they're 4-1 and one because of that defense more than anything else. And frankly, playing against lesser teams 
in that four and one. So I, I think it doesn't impact them as severely as it would for some other teams out there. But make no mistake, there is a significant drop-off in productivity between Deshaun Watson and P.J. Walker. So this defense is really going to have to be relied on even more than it already has been. And they're going to be relying on the ground game a lot more than it already has been, which is going to put more of the onus on Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt. But you know what? They're 6-3, and three, and they, they, they are 6-3 and three in spite of, you know, Deshaun Watson and some of his play this year. And they they look like they're a competitive team. The defense is a legitimate championship contending defense. Uh, it's just a matter of if they can figure it out offensively. Maybe it's Dorian Thompson Robinson. You, you don't know. It's um so again, it doesn't obviously doesn't help them. You lose your starting quarterback, it doesn't matter what quality of quarterback that is it always hurts and it always is an impact, but this team's kind of been bit with the injury bug this year. So if any team can kind of rally through it, it's probably Cleveland because they've had to do it since week two without Nick Chubb. So I, I think though it'll hurt, but it won't be as severe or as fatal as it could be in other organizations, just because frankly, Deshaun Watson hasn't been a good quarterback this year when he's been out there. He had exactly six quarters of good output for this team so far this season. If, if we're just going to be honest, the second half of la last Sunday's game and the game against the Titans. Uh, other than that, he has been at best a middle-of-the-road quarterback for this team. And frankly, I said it uh, once the news got released on Twitter earlier today, but I'll just... I'll reiterate, it, it has to be official now. This is the worst trade in NFL history since Herschel Walker. And I'm going to stand by that. I'm going to stand by it completely. It's uh, Take all the off-the-field stuff away from it. I know that's hard to do, and it's hard to dismiss in some regards. And for fans, for people out in the media, you just you take away all of that. At the end of the day, the Cleveland Browns gave a five-year, $230 million guaranteed contract, fully guaranteed contract, gave up three first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a third-round pick to get 11 games of action. And out of those 11 games, legitimately only six of the 44 quarters that they played, you could say Deshaun Watson was elite. Meanwhile, the Texans, on the other hand, are looking at being a playoff contender in their own right. C.J. Stroud has absolutely developed into a superstar quarterback. They have a not-great receiver core, but he's doing it in spite of the not-great receiver core. They used the, the other draft pick to move up and get Will Anderson that they got from the Browns, who, in theory, should be one of the contenders for Defensive Rookie of the Year this year and has looked phenomenal off the edge for the Texans. And they still get another year of Cleveland's first-round picks. And considering the fact this would have been Baker Mayfield's, you know, contract make-it-or-break-it season for them, fact of the matter is the Cleveland Browns could have kept all those picks, had Baker Mayfield for considerably less money, and if it wasn't working out, they would have had their pick of Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix, Jordan Travis, um, Grayson McCall, who I – believe is going to be a phenomenal quarterback. Bo Nix, uh, they they had a 
litany of players that they could have picked up because at the end of the day, you trade those types of picks, you're telling us that the only thing missing from your team to win not just a Super Bowl, but multiple Super Bowls is the quarterback. And just as, as of this point, two years into it and the second year being officially done now after only six games of actual game time, for Deshaun Watson, you, you have to call it a bust. He's made $90 million for 11 games of work. That is a horrifically bad outcome from this trade thus far. And frankly, it's getting to the stage now where I think heads may have to roll because of it, because you are now wasting what has been MVP performances from Miles Garrett, defensive comeback player of the year performances from Grant Delpit, Phenomenal efforts defensively, incredible efforts for next man up offensively from different skill position players. It's been wasted. And you wasted all that capital and cap space to do that. So, yeah, we can talk about the on the field stuff. We obviously off field stuff is well documented, but purely on the field. The sad thing is losing a franchise quarterback doesn't really hurt the Browns that much because right now they've been getting terrible franchise quarterback play outside of six quarters this season. I know that you are obviously a historian that knows, you know, not that you know every single thing about football, but you, you know your football history, and that's very much, very much can be the case. I don't think people understand the comp the comparison to the Herschel Walker trade because unless you like go back and look at everything it's it's hard to see how in the moment that was as bad of a trade as it wound up being because I don't think anybody understood the value of the picks that were swapped that were changing hands because nobody knew about those picks being as valuable as they became and then the different conditions that were also put on that, oh, if this player gets cut, then they get this pick and all, all the different kind of things that went into that. So I guess as best as you can, kind of put into perspective why this trade is as bad as such as the Herschel Walker trade. Sure. Um, I mean, you kind of alluded to a good pieces, parts of it. For those of you that are not aware, back in... I want to say 88 or 89. I don't recall exactly offhand. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, in the midst of having an okay season, not a great season, but an okay season, traded their starting running back, Herschel Walker. And for those of you that are younger, no, he wasn't always just a weird um, guest on Celebrity Apprentice and then a even weirder candidate for Senate, question mark. Um, <laughs> he was actually a pretty good running back. Like phenomenal running back in his day. Uh, the closest comparison I would make to like this type of player he was projected to be would be an Adrian Peterson. And Dallas traded him to Minnesota. They traded him for about five or six players and two draft picks. But with each of those players, the the Cowboys specifically requested that they put in parameters that if that player were to be cut or if that player were to only hit x amount of yards on the season or x amount of snaps that the vikings would have to give up additional picks what end up being is herschel walker turned into nine draft picks for the dallas cowboys you're trading for a franchise altering running back if you're the minnesota vikings you're not worried about draft picks you think this is a win now mode 
Dallas just hired a new head coach in Jimmy Johnson. They're thinking of rebuild because what they have isn't working. That trade netted the Dallas Cowboys, Darren Woodson, Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, and Emmett Smith. Minnesota Vikings didn't have a winning record in the mid-90s until they drafted Randy Moss. That's why people refer to the Herschel Walker trade, because it was a one player for just a litany of picks that ended up being a disaster for one team and then built a dynasty with the other. Now, am I saying the Houston Texans are going to be a dynasty? No, but I'll actually pull up the trade right now just to make sure what what they ended up getting out of it thus far. So the actual trade itself, what they were able to get is, again, three first-round picks. Everyone knows that part. But the picks that they got, and this is where it just, again, gets crazy for me. The Browns got Deshaun Watson and a sixth-round pick this year. Texans received the 2022 first-round pick, 2023 and 2024, a 2022 fourth-round pick, a third-round pick in 2023, and a fourth-round pick in 2024, and then also the ability to swap for any of those as well. So the Texans turned that into their starting right guard, Ken, uh, Kenyon Green, I believe his name is. They drafted him in 22. Last year, they traded up with some of those additional picks and turned it into Will Anderson. And this year, they might be two middle first-round picks, but it's middle first-round picks in a year when you could have someone like a Keon Coleman or a Xavier Worthy at wide receiver available in the middle of the first round or a Jeremiah Trotter Jr. available in the later stages of the first round. This Texans team is going to be able to turn this into picks that they can genuinely build a franchise around. And the Browns are actually going to run into significant cap problems when it comes to re-signing some of their big players, because if they cut Deshaun Watson at this point, it's going to cost them a hundred million dollars over the course of two years of dead money. So the reason you make the comparison, the reason I make the comparison that I do is because very cut and dry one team sold the entire farm, the horse, the cow, the barn, the tractor, and about, you know, three additional acres of land for one guy. Just one guy. And when you do that, that means you're telling the rest of this organization that we don't need anyone else for the next five years. This guy alone is going to fix it. That's what they did with Herschel Walker. He got a big contract extension as soon as he got traded to Minnesota. He barely made it through his contract, and he was relegated to backup duty by year three. Do I think Deshaun Watson's going to be relegated to backup duty by year three? No, but I also don't think Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry are going to survive long enough for it to get to year three for him. So I, I think I think it's a fair comparison because you've seen what the Texans are doing. Obviously, the C.J. Stroud pick was their own pick, but the Kenyon Green pick was the Browns pick. Will Anderson was the Browns pick. Additional picks, Nico Collins there, or not Nico Collins, uh, Tank Dell, second leading wide receiver, was a Cleveland Browns pick. 
these are key players to this team that are making the Texans a much better football team than they were a mere year ago. And the Browns are now staring down the barrel of entering year three with this Deshaun Watson trade, having only gotten 11 games out of him. And that's just, when you make that kind of move, that's an inexcusable difference that you can't abide, even as early as year two out of a five-year contract. And it just goes to show just kind of the differences in organizations because Jimmy Johnson, A, that trade was during the season. That is something I think that people may may not remember as well. That was yeah, in that, the middle of was, the season. That was a trade deadline trade. That is very true. Yeah. And just that was his first year, obviously, as the Cowboys coach. You know, he took over for one of the greatest coaches ever in Tom Landry. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he turned, he, he essentially did the quickie version of a rebuild just be, by getting that litany of picks and hitting on the picks that he did ultimately hit on. And it's it's that, it's that much interesting because you compare and contrast it to the Houston and Cleveland dynamics where Houston was, you know, in the process of kind of franchise altering type moves with their GM. They've obviously already gone through a couple head coaches in these last few years, but this was the first time Cleveland essentially in my lifetime had any sort of stability between front office and head coach because mm. Kevin Stefanski, unless I'm misremembering something, I think he's now already the longest tenured coach of my Browns lifetime. He's, he's up there. I think, um, I think Butch Davis still has him by like a couple games. Sometime this season, Stefanski will be the longest tenured coach. Right. So I either either way, it's 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 going to that's that part's going to change. But just the fact that you finally you finally get the coach that you think you know we're going to build around this coach. You finally have the GM with Andrew Barry that you're going to build around, and he's made other good moves. So it's not like his tenure has been a complete disaster by any stretch. But 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 this move now turns that into the potential of disaster and could result in widespread changes in Cleveland because of the repercussions with Watson now getting hurt and being unable to, you know, fulfill what he's been, you know, thought of to do with this contract so far. Yeah, and you know what? Again, this is something where for for people out there listening, it's I, I come from this purely from football history and just football on the field. That there's a million and a half discussions to be made about the off the field side of things and what the Browns were willing to do in terms of trade, trying to win it all at win at all costs types of attitude. But the comparisons between this Texans Browns trade and the Cowboys Vikings with Herschel Walker. It goes a little deeper than that, too, because when the Cowboys made that trade, that first year after the trade, they were dog water. Yeah. They were horrible. Absolutely horrible. Same thing with the Texans. They got rid of their superstar. They were just trash last season. Just absolutely atrocious. No one could deny that. The Browns looked competitive at different moments. Same thing with the Vikings looked kind of competitive, looked like, hey, maybe this might end up panning out for them instead. But then they were able to get those picks and move up and expedite their rebuild process the same way the Texans are, the same exact way the Texans are. 
And you, you talk about stability, good, bad, or indifferent. But yeah, the Texans have not been that stable of a franchise over the past couple of years. You went from David Coley to Lovey Smith. Now you have D'Amico Ryans, who, like the record to show, I was singing the praises of that coaching hire for the Texans back in the offseason. I, I was I'm a big fan of D'Amico Ryans as a head coach. But they're seeming to build it in a Dallas Cowboys model. And I, as a Clevelander, I don't like the fact that we're the Vikings in this scenario. And especially for someone like Jimmy Haslam, who comes from a organization with the Steelers, that they don't make these kind of moves to just see year in and year out how impatiently, just impatiently petulant he is as an owner. If he were on the reverse side of it, if he were the the Texans owner, he probably would have fired D'Amico Ryans after their own, like, a rough start. He, like, if they would have gone terrible like they did last year, would have fired everybody. I guarantee if the roles were reversed, he'd fire Stefanski. He'd fired Barry in this scenario. But now he they've locked themselves into a position where they have to ride this out because if he cleans house or forces them to clean house or talks to another homeless guy about drafting Johnny Manziel again, it's going to cost the team $100 million. It will cost them almost their entire salary cap in an offseason where they're going to have to re-sign Grant Delpit. They're going to have to start talking to Nick Chubb about some type of contract extension. They're going to have to work with Amari Cooper about a contract. So it's... You, it was a bad move to begin with because Watson had sat out a whole season. And that's what makes this even more astonishing of a move. And I think by the time it's done, it'll actually go down as a worse trade than Herschel Walker trade. Because Sean Watson sat out a whole season, had a suspension, came back, and was clearly not the same. He had missed almost two years of football at that point. So, yeah, I mean... I, I don't know if it ends up this year being heads roll because I think they might get a pass because of the injuries to Watson and because of the injuries to Nick Chubb and Jack Conklin and things of that nature. And to your credit and to his credit, Andrew Barry has made some good moves. Getting Amari, you have one of the worst trades in NFL history with Deshaun Watson, bookended by one of the best trades in NFL history, getting Amari Cooper for a sixth round pick. Right who has turned into an absolute franchise wide receiver and a true wide receiver one. It's, it's astonishing both ends of the spectrum that we see with this front office and the general manager in particular, Andrew Barry. And I think they survive it. They might survive it this year, but I got to tell you, if things start rough, start rough next season as well, I, I I don't see Barry or Stefanski making it out of the season, which is crazy when two years ago at this time, it was discussion of Super Bowl contention. This defense is just otherworldly good. And right now we're staring down the barrel of a complete blow it up and try again, but only a blow it up where we have no draft picks or money to make anything work for the Browns. So it's, it's rough. It, it, it's rough for Cleveland fans. I, I do feel for the Cleveland fans out there, but a, a bad trade does come back to bite you at some point, and it certainly seems like this is the point where it's going to start to bite the Browns. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM. 
WFOB Classic. It's 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here as we wanted to talk just general NFL and then went on a little diatribe just on the Browns and some of the moves as of late. It's such a big story. Oh, it is. It is. I I mean, just had a a playoff contending team lose their franchise quarterback who, oh, BTW, is the reason they might struggle to re-sign most of their starters defensively that they need to re-sign this offseason. Right. So, so, but anyway, I'm sorry, continue. No, pl- plenty plenty of reason to have the diatribe that we did, but uh, there are some other things in the NFL I'm curious your take on. Mm-hmm. The the Bills, they, they, they fire Ken Dorsey after the loss to the Broncos. Are are they are they this bad? Is it just the nature of parody in the NFL? Is is Josh Allen now just not as good either? What what's your kind of take on what we've seen from the Bills? Oh well, first of all, with Ken Dorsey fired, not a single headset is safe in the tri-state area well, from yeah. his unbridled rage. Very true. Um. Uh, uh no, with Buffalo, it's they're a mixed bag because they're so talented on paper. They really are. I mean, Josh Allen, I think is, I personally think Josh Allen's one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. I know he throws a lot of interceptions, but you know what? It's the Brett Favre syndrome. He throws a lot of interceptions, but he throws a ton of touchdowns as well. So it's, you kind of get both ends of the spectrum in that regard. But in terms of team this year, I don't know. I mean, they're a tough read because, They've never been a run-oriented team. They got rid of their starting running back. It's now James Cook up there. They just signed Leonard Fournette to try and help out. But I I think the problems are a little bit deeper than that. I think it's that they got their quarterback. Then they went out and got Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs is a bit of an animated personality. We'll call we'll put it that way. Yeah. And they kind of stopped going and getting anybody after that. And it just turned to every year they draft a defensive end. So they, they're probably seven deep at the defensive end position right now, but they really haven't done anything to build up the offense outside of, we have Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen. We're good. And they're not Gabe Davis. Hasn't developed the way they want him to Dalton Kincaid has looked decent at times in his rookie year. Uh, Dalton, is it Dalton Schultz or Dalton Knox that Knox. they have up there? Knox. Knox. Knox as a tight end, he's had moments, but no one has really developed because Stefan Diggs kind of takes all the touches. And then any touches that Stefan Diggs doesn't have, it's either Josh Allen running or Josh Allen throwing it to the other team. So I don't know. They're, they're a tough read, I, I think. They'll eventually be okay. This may just be one of those bad years for a good team. But I think the next couple of weeks are going to be a big indicator. You said Ken Dorsey was the scapegoat, that he was the problem. Okay, prove that he was the problem now. Because if you can't prove he's the problem, maybe the problem actually is Sean McDermott, or maybe the problem is, in fact, Josh Allen. Sticking in the AFC, who's good? Because... Like every, every everybody has flaws. I mean, we've already talked plenty about the Browns. Just talked about the Bills. Obviously, the Jets have an offense problem with with what they've had. The Dolphins have been, you know, they've had some of the best peaks, but you know, they've the times they've played some of these better teams, it has not gone in their favor. 
the Chiefs, you can say the similar thing about the Chiefs. They've had some struggles as well. And those are those are some of your top teams overall in the AFC. Uh, yeah, so the answer to that is the Eagles. The Eagles are very, very good. Uh, <laughs> no, in terms of the AFC, look, all of them are competitive. I would actually say a lot of it has to do with parity uh, more than anything else. I, I think the NFL is actually reaching a point where all these teams are properly competitive with each other, you know, save the Carolina Panthers and the New England Patriots, which that just makes me so happy, but that's not important. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's really just, it's finally kind of balanced out. Most of these teams have quality quarterback play. Most of these teams have built up good defense that the way the NFL has changed, it's really not, I feel bad saying it this way. It's not really strategy anymore. It's really points barrage. It's really trying to get the ball downfield. It's trying to get the ball into the end zone quickly and effectively. And that's something that a lot of teams can do and that offenses are built to do. So I think in the AFC, uh, the answer, who's good? Yes. <laughs> I think they're all good. I think the Dolphins are a very, very talented team. I think they need to win against a top-tier opponent to prove that. Kansas City is always going to be in the discussion because they're very good, but at the same time, they seem flawed in some reg regards. We just spent plenty of time talking about the Browns. I mean, Baltimore... I don't know what they do to their wide receivers in Baltimore to make them just immediately be mid at best, but Zay Flowers is their leading receiver and he's a rookie. So it's, it's the, the AFC is a little weird this year. There's no gain around. It's a little weird. Um, I think it's kind of a toss up as to who comes out of the AFC, but I, I would say, I don't see any surprises. I, I don't see, I don't see Las Vegas magically climbing up the ranks and making a run of it. I don't see uh, Buffalo turning it around heavily. I certainly don't see Jacksonville suddenly coming back and just dominating the top of the AFC South and running away with it. It's it's going to be anyone's conference. Simple as that. Plenty of uh, good games coming up this weekend in the NFL, but obviously the biggest uh, is going to be next Monday. Super Bowl rematch, Eagles-Chiefs. That's uh, that's got to be the one you're looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, the rest of these games are kind of like predetermined runaways. This is a very rough week from a scheduling perspective for a lot of these teams. But no, that's, that should be a great game. And I'm curious to see what's in store for that game because both teams are honestly decidedly different than they were last year. Philadelphia, very talented across the board, but some of their deficiencies, they had a little bit of issues in the ground game last year is really relying on Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith to make plays. They now have DeAndre Swift. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell's really come on strong. The tush push is here to stay. Kansas City, on the other hand, that I feel like they won it in spite of not really having anything dominant last year, and this season they're getting some impressive play across the board. I mean, Travis Kelsey's Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes is objectively the best quarterback in the NFL and it's hard to dispute otherwise. So I, that definitely should be a great game. I, I think that'll be the game to watch. I think that's going to be absolutely deserving of the best game of the weekend, a very nice reward for all NFL fans in general, after some of the just absolute ghastly primetime games we've all had to be subjected to <laughs> so far this season should make for a good one. Good, good, uh, good redemption game from the NFL.
With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. We'll come back, take a look at some other things in the sports world, and wrap up here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. NWO has news. We are excited to announce the newest addition to the NWO family. Dr. Ryan Tran is a local who was raised in the area, trained by the Cleveland Clinic, and has returned to his hometown to care for your whole family, just like he does his own. Dr. Tran is now accepting new patients of all ages in our Tiffin office. Make your appointment today to experience the benefits of family care by a hometown professional. There's only one place to go. NWO. Saying goodbye to summer is less sad when you realize your favorite fall flavors are here at Big B Coffee. Celebrate the return of our sweet foam pumpkin cold brew, pumpkin spice latte, and our caramel apple cider. Pair these delicious fall sips with our maple waffle sandwich or pumpkin muffin. Available for a limited time at one of the two Big B Coffee locations in Findlay, one on Trenton Avenue and one on Tiffin Avenue. Back we are on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB. Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you. Big thanks to Kevin Harris from Meet at Midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing. Chris Algy, McComb head football coach and Colombian head football coach Judd Lutz for all joining us today. On the show again, don't miss our coverage coming your way on Friday night. We'll have coverage of that Macomb football game when they take on Patrick Henry. That'll be on Classic It's 96.7 WBVI. But before we go, Matt, a couple things in the uh, sports world to talk about. And uh, one of them uh, front and center last night, Draymond Green deciding to, you know, be Draymond Green and put Rudy Gobert in a headlock. Uh, him along with Clay Thompson, Jaden McDaniels all ejected in that Warriors-Timberwolves game last night. I mean... Draymond, what 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 is you doing? Come come on, what what are we doing here? He's being Draymond Green. It's a sim. Look, Draymond Green is a very aggressive, fight first, ask questions later kind of defender and player in the NBA, and uh, honestly would have fit in great in the early '90s, late '80s during the like Bad Boy Pistons era and stuff like that. He certainly would have be a much better fit during that time frame. Um, having said that, he has to be suspended several games. It's the you you don't do a chokehold when you're trying to clear people off of a teammate. That's just that that's kind of inexcusable. So he's gonna have to get suspended a few games. And honestly, Golden State may need to consider that it's time to slightly blow it up just a tiny little bit, question mark. They they might be getting close to that time because they have not necessarily looked the same with the roster they have over there. Kind of reminds me of that uh, Lakers team from mid-2000s where it was Kobe, Shaq, Gary Payton, Carl Malone, uh, and all these like very, very old veterans where it's like, okay, I, I think the time has come, guys. It might be done. And now we've got, uh, along with just the regular season, we also have the NBA in-season tournament that is, you know, thrown a a different wrinkle into things. Have you, has, has that affected your, your NBA watching thus far? Have you, do you have any uh, thoughts on what we've seen so far for the in-season tournament? I'm just going to level with everybody. I've read up on the tournament multiple times. I have no idea what this <laughs> is about. I, th this, this strikes me as just the ultimate money grab and to justify getting a game or a series in Las Vegas. 
it's I I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily see the incentive behind it. It's hasn't changed my NBA watching whatsoever. I mean, I'm a Cleveland fan, so you know I'm just suffering in silence over here between every game, whether they're good or bad, kind of situation, and just hoping that they draft Bronny James next year so LeBron can come home one more time. But um no, it, it hasn't changed my opinion of it because frankly, I am so confused by what the in-season tournament actually <laughs> is for. I'm just choosing to ignore it and just assume it's just more regular season basketball with some random series that'll happen in Vegas in a couple weeks. And maybe I'm sure this is gonna get like maybe flushed out over the next few years to where maybe it will you know, truly matter at some point, mm-hmm. but it's, it, it's j- just the fact that it's like, it is regular season games, but there's different kind of stipulations. There's a whole new floor that every team has. It, just the fact that it's like kind of just interspersed within the season. Like, I think if it was just an in-season tournament, like it was just the first, however many weeks of games or something like that, then I think I'd be a little more invested, but the fact that I basically have to look at the court to know whether it's an in-season tournament game or just a regular, regular season game. I mean, there's, there's a little too, too many layers into this one. Oh, and, and frankly, the, the courts kind of look like garbage. <laughs> they just are, it, the closest thing I can come up to, it feels like somebody made a league on NBA 2K. <laughs> yeah. And they had members of their league say that we're bored. There's really no point to playing it until the back end of the season. So just amongst themselves, they made this bet of like all oh, these we're going to do an in-season tournament and the winner will we'll all pitch in 10 bucks and the winner gets like a hundred bucks yeah. kind of. It's like, it's that kind of vibe <laughs> at this point. It's well, our t- players are bored. James Harden's going to request a trade again here in the next couple of weeks. Let's come up with something to do to keep them entertained. So that way everyone will forget the fact that NBA regular season action really kind of sucks until Christmas anyway. I know. We'll do an in-season tournament. What's the prize? <laughs> Nothing. It's just an in-season tournament. That's the whole plan. <laughs> I do think I do think there's a money prize attached. Oh, there to is. It. Well, there's a money prize for the players of the team, but there's no incentive for the fan bases. Like, yeah. what? Yay! My multi-millionaire players got an extra million dollars. I'm so happy for them. Uh, I don't know that. that I think they'd be smart if they found some way to incentivize it for the teams outside of money. Maybe like winner of the series, winner of the series, that conference gets home court in the finals or something like, like try to incentivize yeah. it in some way. But for right now, who doggy hard pass. <laughs> That'll just about do it for us here tonight. Big thanks to Kevin Harris being at midfield to come back awful announcing Chris Algy, McComb head football coach and Colombian head football coach, John Lutz for all joining us today. On the show again, don't miss our coverage coming Friday night for high school football. Love coverage of that Macomb game as they will be taking on Patrick Henry for a regional title. Matt Common, Jimmy Nicholson will have that one for you from Napoleon. That'll be on Classic Hits 96.7. From my broadcast partner, Matt Common, this is Lance Moore signing off for this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Thanks for listening. Catch you in the next one.